We came across Grace Bible Church and we quickly realized that they were teaching from the scripture. They uh, were teaching the grace of Christ. They were loving college students and they were loving missionaries and they were loving each other. So we jumped into the church and off we went. Probably one of the biggest influences that Grace had on on us as a couple and each one of us individually is learning how to love other people and learning how to pour out our lives into other people's lives instead of looking for everybody else to take care of us. When we start trying to apply an eternal perspective to life and knowledge that our mistakes are forgiven by Christ, how do we apply that in the way we react with other people, the way we deal with other people, the way we love other people. Fundamentally, when we draw the line on where we have time to do things, it's trying to commit to things that have eternal value, and this is the place that that commitment lands. I have learned to hold things loosely that I used to hold very tight. I mean, you just cannot take it with you, so you might as well give it away. What do I really believe in? Do I believe that God loves me? Well, yes, I do. Well, if I believe that, then everything else is going to take care of itself. If I believe that, then I believe that I'm also called then to give that love away. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the morning. We pray that our attitude would be that that we just sang and that we just heard in, in that video that you are our Lord of all. You're greater than any treasure the world could offer Father, greater than anything that we could earn by what we do. You are our King. Father, I pray as we study your word this morning that that reality would become clearer and more personal in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would uh, break us of the idols that we worship in our lives that are not of you. Father, as we study your word, I pray that you would open up our minds that we'd understand it. I pray take away any confusion, any distractions, either that we walked in here with or distractions that we're facing right now. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would be teachable, ready to hear from your spirit. Take away our fear, take away our rebellious attitudes, and then empower our hands and our feet and our lips for your service as we prepare to go from here into a world that needs the good news of Jesus. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are of a certain age, uh, you will recognize the image that I'm about to put up here on the screen. You might even uh, have seen this on TV in reruns. Uh, This is a scene from the classic movie, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. came out in 1981. And uh, you'll remember this is the opening scene, an iconic scene. Indiana is trying to steal this golden fertility idol from a temple in Peru. Now, the reason he's replacing it with a bag of sand is because it is rigged with traps. Of course, there's a physics problem there, we realize, right? Sand doesn't weigh the same as solid gold, but suspension of disbelief, right? It's an exciting scene. And uh, he steals the idol and he gets away and it's the beginning of his adventures. A lot of you remember the scene uh, because of this moment. Now, fewer of you will remember the next image that I'm about to put on the screen. Uh, This is from a movie that was made several years later in 1989. It's called UHF. That is the comedian and musician Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, This was Weird Al's first and only 
feature motion picture. Um, and he began with a parody of that very scene from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. He had the sand, he had the hat, he had the whole deal, and he mimicked Harrison Ford, almost movement for movement. The primary difference between his scene and Harrison Ford's scene was the statue itself. Uh, you may notice that instead of a golden fertility idol, Weird Al Yankovic, in his first film, what he has placed on that pedestal is an Academy Award statuette. Right, and I, I love the imagery there because Weird Al must have thought, this is my first movie. If I'm going to put something on a pedestal that would be worthy of my worship, something that I would say, this is what I hope to achieve, it's going to be an Academy Award. Now, tragically, this movie did not win an Academy Award, but the imagery to me was powerful. He says, this would be the thing that would complete my hopes, that would complete my life. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were to put something on that pedestal, right? if you were to put something right there and say this thing, this person, this feeling, this, this in my life would complete my life, would fulfill my hopes, what would it be? What is the thing that you lie awake at night thinking about that you say, if only I could have, right? If only I could have X, Y, or Z. If only I could know that my financial future was secure, right? If only I could have X amount of dollars in my retirement account, then everything would be good. That's what you put on that pedestal. Or you say, if only I can know that my kids are going to do all right in life, right? If only I can know that they will go to good schools, that they will learn the things they need to learn, that they will succeed in life. That might be what you put on that pedestal. All right, and maybe you say, if only I could find a spouse, right? Maybe you're single and you go, that's the thing. If only I could find a spouse. If only I could look a certain way. If only I could have the right job. If only I could live in the right neighborhood. You put something up on that pedestal. I was thinking about that this week. What are the things that we would place on that pedestal and say, I'm willing to give my life and my energy and my time and my money to achieving that? All right, whatever it is you put on that pedestal in your life, that is where your time and your energy and your money will inevitably go. All right, whatever it is that you say, look, if I have this, my life is full. That's where your time and money and energy will go. Or to ask it in reverse, what is it that you'd say, if I lose this, my life will fall apart. All right, if I woke up tomorrow and I found out I have no money, what would that do to your heart, to your spirit, to your soul? If you woke up tomorrow and you learned that your future isn't going to turn out like you hope, you're not going to have that thing anymore, how would you feel? Right, that, that feeling of fear and insecurity, what that does to us is it causes us then to take all of our resources and energy and time and money and say, I'm going to direct it toward making sure that my fears never come true or that my hopes do, that my hopes are realized, right? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That as we think about money, the odds are good that we spend our money and therefore our time, right? We spend time to make money that we can spend. We spend our time and our money on whatever is on that pedestal, right? As we have been walking through this discussion of every knee over the last four weeks, you'll remember we're in week four of a five-week series. Every week we've been asking this question, why should we become generous and joyful givers, right? Why should we become generous and joyful givers? You remember we talked about at the beginning, our primary goal in this season of ministry for Grace Bible Church is a heart transformation. 
that all of us experience the joy of saying, God, you own all that I have and all that I am. I want to give everything that I have and am to the cause of Jesus Christ, right? That, that we experience a heart transformation. That's the primary goal. And so because of that, we've been asking this question, why should we become the type of people who are generous and joyful? You remember week one, we said, because giving is an act of worship to God who is worthy. We talked about how the Israelites gave to the construction of the tabernacle, right? Because they wanted a place to worship God. And they said, we want to be a part of what God is doing. The second week, we talked about how giving to God's purposes is an investment in eternity. That is, I can't take it with me but I can send it ahead, right? I can't use my money. I can't take my money to heaven with me, but I can use my money now to invest in missions, to invest in the gospel, to invest in the work of the local church, to bear fruit for eternity. Last week, we talked about how giving is the proper response to God's generosity, right? We give because we're rich. Remember, we give because God has been gracious and kind to give us more than we need. And this week, we're talking about this because giving destroys our idols. Because giving destroys our idols. That is, when we look at whatever is on that pedestal, by giving of the resources God has given, we have an opportunity to open up our hands and very consciously say, God, I'm going to choose to trust you instead of whatever I can buy with money. I'm going to choose to trust you instead of trusting in whatever I think will bring me security or power or love or approval, or health, or happiness. I'm going to trust in you. Colossians 3, chapter 5. Paul wrote this, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Paul says when we hoard or when we spend our money in ways that communicate, look, I'm trusting in something besides God. That's idolatry, right? Often, and we'll see this as we move through the morning, it's not so much that money itself becomes a God. What becomes a God for us is what money represents. Okay, we're gonna see that as we look at the concept of idolatry this morning, that the reason greed amounts to idolatry, it's not, it's not because we say, I just want a giant pile of cash, right? Even if you say that, the reality is that it is what that pile of cash represents to you. What can you get with it? What do you feel you can buy with it? And as a result, we turn our hearts away from trusting and worshiping God to trusting and worshiping in money, right? Giving releases us from those idols. That's what I want to look at this morning. And I want to start here by asking this question. What is an idol, right? What is an idol? When you think about the concept of idolatry. Probably what comes to your mind, maybe you know somebody, for example, who is a Hindu. And you, what you think about when you think about idolatry is they, they may have a, a shrine or a temple or a house filled with idols, right? They, they have statues that represent various gods, right? You may think about the Old Testament, and I think rightly so. You go back into the Old Testament, and it has a lot to say about idolatry, right? Because the, the nations that surrounded Israel were idolaters. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 12 to 17. Isaiah describes an idolater, and I want to read a little bit of this passage to us this morning. He says, the man shapes iron into a cutting tool, and he does his work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He also gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. 
Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass and makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of a man, so that it may sit in a house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. Then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and warms himself. He also makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a God and worships it. He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, deliver me for you're my God. And Isaiah goes on and he says, this guy doesn't understand that half of it he used to bake bread and half of it he used to make a God. And he he literally says he's bowing down before a block of wood, right? And so Isaiah makes fun of idolatry. And when we think of idolatry, that's what we think of, right? People make statues, they bow down to them. But the reality is, even in the Old Testament, here is the key. Idolatry was never ultimately about the statue. Right? Idolatry was never ultimately about the statue. Instead, it was what the statue represented. They were worshiping a God that they believed existed above or behind the statue, right? So if you could put a statue of a God in a temple and do the right incantations in the right order, they believed their God would come and dwell in that statue, in that temple, and give them what they wanted, right? The idea of idolatry was never about the statue. Here's what it was. It was, I can construct a God that will give me something that God ought to give me. I can construct a God that will meet my needs, that I can worship on my own terms, that I can plug in a formula. And when I plug in that formula, I know I will have food and shelter and rain or whatever it is I want. Idols were always about what they represented, more than the statue itself. So think about that famous passage from 1 Kings 18. There's this showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You remember this passage where the prophet Elijah says to the nation of Israel, look, if Baal is God, let's worship Baal. But if Yahweh is God, let's worship him. We're gonna gather up on Mount Carmel and we're gonna have a showdown, right? And so all these prophets of the the false god Baal, they gather together and Elijah goes to one side and these prophets go to the other side and the goal is which God can make it rain, right? And so the prophets of Baal begin to dance around and they cut themselves and they pray to Baal and they have their altar that they're trying to get their God to ignite with rain and thunder and nothing happens. And so Elijah, you may remember, Elijah starts to taunt them. Hey, maybe Baal went on a trip, right? Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep says maybe he is relieving himself, right? Maybe he is in the bathroom because he's no God at all. And then Elijah prays to God and the rain begins. God ignites that altar. The idea of Baal, see Baal was what? Baal was a fertility and agricultural God. The prophets of Baal worshiped Baal because they could worship him on their terms. They had a formula that they enjoyed for worship. Plug in the formula, Baal promises rain. See, the problem with God, with Yahweh, was that he's unpredictable, right? He doesn't always do what we want him to do when we want him to do it, right? The other issue is that he requires worship on his terms, not on our terms, right? He requires that we worship him fully on his own terms. So we can't come to God and say, I want A, B, or C, and I will do X, Y, and Z to get it. And God goes, okay, like a slot machine. That's not the way God works. Idols work that way. 
And so as you look at the scripture, it's not so much the idea of the statue itself. It's this. What is an idol? An idol is anything we use in any way as a substitute for God, right? And I think this is critical because when we think about idolatry, we talk about money as idolatry. A lot of us immediately, we go, look, I don't, I don't have any wooden or golden blocks that I bow down before, right? I don't even have wooden and golden blocks that represent like my 401k, right? Like a wooden pile of money that I bow down before or a statue of my prospective spouse that I hope to marry someday, that I kneel before and pray, right? We don't do that. But what we do is we use our money to try to purchase things that God alone is meant to provide. All right, so here's what I mean. We may use our money to try to purchase for ourselves security for the future. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago with the parable of the rich man who stores up so much in his barns. And he says, look, I have enough to last for many years. I don't need to trust God for my daily bread. I will eat and drink and be merry. What's he doing with his money? I'm gonna buy the security that only God can provide. And see, here's the problem with idols, is that idols are always just a pale imitation of God. They are always a pale and poor imitation of God. You may remember a couple of years ago, I told y'all about my whirly pop. Some of you remember my whirly pop that I use to make what I think is the best popcorn on the planet right? Shannon gave it to me as a gift, and I love my Whirly Pop. I have had people come up uh, subsequently and say, I went out and bought a Whirly Pop, and you were right. It changed my life. And I said, I told you. I told you it would change your life and set you off on a new trajectory. I love the Whirly Pop, right? So I make popcorn regularly with the Whirly Pop, but here's the thing. The downside of the Whirly Pop is this. It does take a little bit of work on the front end and a little bit of cleanup on the back end, right? So it takes a little bit longer than making popcorn some other way. I got to pour in the oil and the salt and the butter and all of the good stuff and the kernels. And then I have to stand there and kind of mix it. And it takes a little bit longer. And then on the back end, I've got a whirly pop filled with oil and all this kind of stuff. I got to clean it out. So here's my dark secret that there are some times that I walk into my kitchen and I want popcorn and I say, man, but that whirly pop is too much effort tonight. So I will open up the pantry and I pull a bag of microwave popcorn, right? I know. And I put it in the microwave and I think this'll do, right? This'll do. It's, it's good enough to meet that craving, right? So I, it pops up, pull it out of the microwave. I sit down, I open it up and I take that first bite and I go, I should not have done this, right? Why? Because it's simply a pale imitation of the real thing, right? That's what we do when we turn to idolatry, right? That's what we do when we say, look, I'm gonna use my money to buy things that only God can provide. Here's what happens is I might be able to buy temporary security. I might temporarily be able to buy at least the approximation of love and approval if I dress right, if I belong to the right groups, if I live in the right spot, I might be able to buy the, the, the approximation of a little bit of power on earth, right? But none of it approaches the power and the love and the might of God. None of it approaches what God promises, right? So idols are always this pale imitation of what only God can provide, right? But we all do it. 
We all have idols. This is the problem. All of us have those things in our hearts and lives that we say, if I only had this, then my life would be complete. I want to I want to think about a few of them this morning. Some of the things that we may be saying, look, I'm using my money to purchase what only God can give. One of those is love. Now you say, wait a second, how can love be an idol? Love is a good thing, right? In fact, the Bible says God is love. John wrote, God is love, right? That is true. God lavishes love on his people. But here's the danger is when I reverse it and I say love itself is God. And I get a conception in my mind of what love looks like, how people ought to treat me in love. Or maybe I get a conception in my mind, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm single and I want a spouse and that spouse will love me. So what do I do? I turn my money and my time toward making that happen. If I just got the right clothes, if I just lost the right amount of weight, if I just got the right trainer, if I just, if I just, if I just, then I will be loved. Right? I read an article actually just this past week about China. And some of you may know this. China is in the midst of a marriage crisis at the moment. And the reason is because there are many more men than there are women, right, of marriageable age. The reason? Because of their one-child policy. So right now there are millions of men, especially in rural China, who have no marriage prospects, right? All of the women have left their village or their city and they go, I I desperately want to get married, right? They want to be loved. They want to have a family. So here's what they do. They say, I'm going to take all of my family fortune and build a big house. Because if I build a big house and I have enough money, maybe I can get one of those women to come back to my village and marry me. Or some of them take their money and they literally order foreign brides, Right? And now you say, we, we don't do that. We may not be that blatant. But all too often we take our money and we say, if I invest it just right, maybe I can find the love my heart craves. When the reality is what we find is a pale imitation of the love of God who gave us infinite love through his son, Jesus Christ. That God in his love gave his son who died for us and rose again so we can have eternal life with him because he loves us that much. We all have idols, love, social approval. Social approval, it may be that you say, if I purchase the right things, I can get into the right groups, I can look the right way, people will approve of me. Some of you uh, may recognize these pants, or at least this brand of pants. Um, These are jams. These were very popular when I was like late elementary school, early junior high. Everybody wanted these. Now, it's, it's easy to look back from 30 years uh, plus hindsight and go, why? Like, what were we thinking? But everybody wanted them. We wore them all the time. Now, here's the thing. I really wanted many, many pairs of these. But my mom was frugal and she didn't like buying brand name stuff. So mostly what I had were knockoffs, right? Jams, knockoffs. They weren't the same. They weren't the same because they didn't have that tag that said jams. And I just knew if I could get the real ones, that would catapult me to a new social status in my school. So I had like one pair. My mom bought me one pair and the rest of them were knockoffs. So I washed that one pair as frequently as possible and wore it as often as possible. Right? And, and it sounds funny because I was, you know, sixth grade. You go, what's going through your mind? If I can just have that, people will like me. I will be cool. Right? But the reality is, as adults, we may do that in subtler ways, but we still do it. 
right? Some of us, maybe we worry about keeping up with the, the latest fashions, right? Some of us, we pour our money and time and energy into looking right, into living in the right spot, into being in the right area because we crave that approval, right? And there's nothing wrong with having friends. Again, only good things make good idols. Terrible things make terrible idols, right? Love is a good thing. Friends are a good thing. But here's what happens is we begin to turn all of our energy and time toward these things in our hearts. And we invest our money and pour our money into these idols in our hearts. Love, social approval, power, power. It may be that we look around and we, we notice, hey, people who have money have power over other people, right? Just turn on reality TV and you can see that. What will people not do for the chance at a million dollars? They will lie in coffins. They will eat bugs. They will sacrifice their dignity for a chance at money. So that the person who has the money can say, I want you to do this and this and this. It's why you have never seen a pauper running for president of the United States, right? To achieve power, you need money. When I was a kid, I have a younger brother. There was a period of time that we could get my younger brother to do anything that we wanted for a penny, right? So he would do our chores, feed the dog, do the dishes for a penny. Now, as he got older, there was inflation on his time. It cost more, but the principle was the same. Right? So some of us from a very young age, we begin to internalize that. Maybe you've worked a job where you were on the bottom rung and you thought, look, if I can just ascend to the top rung, I will have power. But to ascend to the top rung, I got to be the guy in charge. To be the guy in charge, I got to spend money. So maybe you, in your heart of hearts, you know, you opened a business so it would be big so that you could tell other people what to do. Right? It may be that you have invested money in having influence in the community, not necessarily for the good of the community but so you could have power, right? And, and, and having influence for the sake of Jesus Christ, that's a great thing. Having influence because I want power over others. When God alone rules the universe, that's where influence turns to idolatry, right? So maybe we seek love, maybe we seek social approval, maybe power, maybe security. You may say, look, I don't, I don't spend a lot of money. I don't buy fancy clothes. I don't buy fancy food and cheeses. I, I live in a modest home right? But what you have is a pile of cash set aside for the future that you know is a whole lot bigger than it really needs to be. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I'm not against retirement accounts. I have one. I'm not against emergency funds. I have one, right? But there may be a line in your heart where you say, because I have stored this up, I no longer have to trust God for the future. Maybe you don't have that. And so you work harder and harder and harder to attain it. You dream about it. You dream about the day when you can have that pile of cash. I'm going to tell this story that it's not one I'm proud of, but I've told you before when we were uh, living in Dallas, when I was in seminary, we struggled some financially. And I remember that there were, there were times I would go down to the computer lab uh, at the school, at the seminary, kind of on the bottom floor, and as I was, if I had extra time while I was waiting to leave the seminary for the day, I would go down, and after I finished my work, I'd sit at that computer, and I remember there was this website 
And, and on this website, you could spin a little wheel, right? You didn't have to pay any money to do it, but you could spin this little wheel. And every single day, they said that they gave away $10,000 every day to somebody, some lucky person who spun the wheel and lucked out, right? So I would sit there in front of this screen, sometimes for 30, 45 minutes an hour and spin that little wheel and try to earn more little spins on that wheel. I won several magazine subscriptions. I never won $10,000, but I remember sitting there and I thought this, if I just had, if I just had $10,000, my life would be solved. Maybe you've thought that. If I just had, now now in hindsight, that sounds ridiculous, right? Because I know $10,000 isn't going to solve my life, at least not for long. All right, so you get the $10,000, you go, eh, I meant 25. That would solve my life. Or a hundred, or a million, a million Would that solve your life? What's the number where I say, I'm good? And I don't need to say, God, provide for my daily needs. When you hit that point in your heart, that's where wisdom and financial planning turns to idolatry. That's why Proverbs chapter 18 says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall. Where? In his own imagination. He builds up a wall but it's all in his own mind because security only comes from the hand of God. Right, maybe it is that your idol is family itself. Right, families are a good thing. Maybe it is that you have placed your kids on that pedestal and you say, I will spend whatever I have to spend. I will do whatever I have to do. I will sacrifice whatever I have to sacrifice, including worshiping with my kids so that they can attain some goal I have for them. Here's what I think often happens to us as parents. We begin the parenting process and we say, you know what? I love Jesus. I want my kids to love Jesus. I want Jesus to be first in their hearts. That's what I want, right? And we believe that as we begin the process, but then something happens. Here's what happens. Maybe they're 13 months, 14 months, and they're sitting in the middle of the living room and they've got one of those little plastic boxes where you put the little shapes right through the holes and they're playing with it. And you look over and all of a sudden your 13 month old grabs those shapes and they just nail it, man. They get them in the right spots the first time and you dump it out and they do it again and you go, hey, sweetie, come over here. She's a genius. And you go, because she's a genius, we've got to invest in the SAT camp for four-year-olds, right? We've got to invest our money and our time because I didn't get to go to Yale, but she is. And so our hearts turn. Or maybe that kid is out on the driveway and he hits three or four baskets in a row. And you say, he is the next LeBron James. And so we spend all our money, time, and energy in this goal for our kids to meet a need in our hearts that only God ought to meet. Maybe it is health. You say, if I can just be healthy enough, just be in shape enough, I won't have to worry about dying for a long time. But Jesus came to give life. And only God gives life. Maybe it is happiness and joy. You say, if I can just find the right vacation, right? Because last year's vacation, right? If I can just find the right one. If I can just find the right source of pleasure and joy that I can buy, I'll be happy. And so our hearts begin to turn from looking to God for our joy to things we can buy. All right, we all have them. 
anything we use as a substitute for God in any way, that's an idol. All right, and so as, as we look at the scripture then, you see the problem with idols is they aren't ultimately satisfactory. They're pale imitations of God. And here's the challenge. The way we spend our money reveals our idols, right? The way we spend our money reveals our idols. If you go and you look at your bank account and you say, here is where the vast majority of my discretionary income is headed. That's worth taking a look at to say, am I worshiping where I'm putting my money, right? Because what does Jesus say? Again, Matthew chapter six, we've seen this passage a few times through the last few weeks. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. What is Jesus saying here? All this talk about the eye. Here's what he's getting at. Whatever you look at, whatever you look at, that's what you're gonna end up putting your money toward, right? So your eye is the lamp of the body. Through what you look at, that gets into your heart. It gets into your mind, right? So if I look at the security that money can provide, and I think about it, and I dream about it, and I pour my money toward it, that's what I'm going to worship. If I look at the pleasure that money can provide, that becomes what I worship, right? Where you look tends to be what you end up worshiping. I was reminded this week of my driver's education class when I was 15, and I distinctly remember how the instructor told us to change lanes, right? If you're on the highway and you need to get from the left lane over to the right lane, she said, here's what you do. You don't actually have to take the wheel and go like this, right? You do that, you're gonna overdo it. She said, all I want you to do is take your face and turn your eyes to the other lane. And what's gonna happen? Your body's gonna drift over there. Car's gonna go where your eyes go. Your life will go where your eyes go. That's what Jesus says. All right, so here's what I think often happens with idols, right? We begin by saying, look, I, I, I see this money I have. It's a, it's a tool, right? It's a tool. So I'm gonna use this money, for example, because I'm gonna plan wisely and I want to have a future for my kids or a future when I cannot work, right? That's a good goal. But here's what happens is we hit a point where maybe it starts to become enough, but we look ahead and we go, I don't know if it's quite enough. And so we work a little harder to get a little more and a little more and a little more. And here's what happens. What we began to see as a tool starts to become a God. It rules over us. And now I am on the hamster wheel of life serving what God meant to be a tool. That's why Jesus says you can't serve both. You can't serve God and money. But here's the good news, I think. When we give, it releases us from that hamster wheel. Giving is a conscious way to say, God, I trust you to meet my needs. God, I love you more than my idols. God, I will worship you first. When we give, when we're open-handed, it releases us from the tyranny of idolatry. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. 
God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which is through, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying that if you give, God's going to make you richer and richer and richer so you can build a bigger and bigger house. What he's saying is that when you give, you look at God and you say, I trust you to meet all my needs for everything now and forever. I don't have to hoard. I don't have to spend on the idols of my heart, but I can say, God, give me what I need and I'll trust you. Giving releases us from those idols. When we gaze at God, the idols lose their appeal because he's so much greater, right? Because the idols are simply a pale imitation of God. If you're looking for love, God says, I'm an infinite source of love. If you're looking to be approved of, God says, because of Jesus Christ, all who trust in Jesus Christ, no, I love you. I approve of you forever. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You're looking for control over your life or control over the world. God says, trust me, I've got control over the world and I've got a plan that's better than yours would be. You're looking for security. You have a future that has been bought and paid for by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that can never be taken away, that is not subject to the whims of the stock market. When we gaze at God, our idols lose their appeal. Psalm 86, there's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any words like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wonderful things. You alone are God. A few weeks ago, I, maybe a few months ago, I found myself unexpectedly in possession of a few hundred extra dollars, right? Somebody uh, generously had given me a few hundred extra dollars and uh, it wasn't enough to change my life, right? It was, ju- it was just a little bit of extra money. It was nice. It was enough to do something nice, but it wasn't gonna alter the trajectory of my life. Well, I got the money and here's the first thing that I thought. I was aware of a friend who was deeply in need, right? Who really needed this money, right? I didn't need it at the moment. So my first thought was, I'm gonna give it to him, right? I'm gonna give to him what God has given to me. But, but here's what happened almost immediately as I had that thought. These other thoughts started coming into my mind. But wait a second, maybe you do need it. I mean, it would help. You don't need it but it would help, right? You could go on a nice little trip. That's not a bad thing, right? But another thought, yeah, you know, you could be a little bit more secure this week. Maybe you could buy something you like. I could buy some brand name jams, right? And all of these things began to come into my mind after the spirit had moved to say, I want you to release it, right? And that was money that I didn't have the day before that I wasn't gonna need the day after. And I think the challenge for us is the longer we have stuff and money, the tighter we hold to it because we go, I earned it, it's mine, it belongs to me. And I think often God says, I I wanna release you from that. Open your hands and see what he'll do. As we've gone through this process over the last several weeks, again, the, the thing that we keep coming back to is, What we're praying for 
is not primarily some amount of money that we are going to raise, right? We have, we have financial goals, but we're praying that God will speak through us as a congregation. But the primary goal is that, is that our hearts will be transformed, all right, so, so next week, I mentioned at the very end of the series, what we're going to do at the end is we are going to make these commitments before the Lord. All right, what, what, what do we feel God is calling us to as a church in terms of financial giving over the next couple of years? All right, and so we have the cards that we'll fill out next week as a community together. And here, here's what I want to say again about it. This is, this is not a card we're going to call you about. This is not a card I'm ever going to see. There's a, a extremely small group from our financial uh, department that will see what's written on there just for the big overall number, right? But the point of this is for us before God. And here's, here's what I hope we'll do this week is, is to get together with our spouses, our families, or if we're single to just get before the Lord and say, God, where am I holding on to things that have become idols in my heart that you're asking me to let go of? for the sake of investing in eternity, for the sake of worshiping you alone. Now, maybe you go before the Lord this week and, and in good conscience, you can say, you know what? I am giving all that God is asking me to give right now. And maybe in good conscience, you say, I'm there. But it may be you're not. And so w- w- what we wanna do is just, it's just an opportunity as a congregation in a moment like this to say, am I where I sense God is calling me to be in terms of opening my hands to say, I worship and trust God with my resources. Along with that next week, there's gonna be one other thing that you'll get. It's a bookmark, it says every knee, but on the back, it also has a couple of blanks to pray. I'm praying for, there's a blank for a person. Down here, there's a blank for a place, right? Because as we've talked about, our mission as a church is to share the gospel to all nations. So that just as we have turned from idols to serve the living God, more and more men and women here and around the world will do the same. So we want to write down a name and a place next week to keep in mind that when I am giving of my resources, this is what I'm giving toward, first and foremost, is the mission of Jesus Christ in the world through Grace Bible Church. So that's our prayer. I pray that you'll do that this week. Get together with your family, spend that time, and we'll come together next week, and it's going to be a celebration of what God is doing and what we pray God will do. And we're going to close in communion. And uh, as we close in communion, what we want to do is, is remember all that God did to purchase us in Jesus Christ, right? That, that he gave what was most precious to him, his only son, so he could purchase you and me for eternal life. And as the elements come forward, Let's reflect upon what Jesus has done and say, God, thank you for purchasing me in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you love me so much that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. If you don't yet know Jesus this morning, feel free to allow the elements to pass by and spend that time asking, is this the moment that God would say, I want to draw you into a relationship with me through Jesus, to believe in Jesus Christ so you can know the love and the security and the joy of worshiping Jesus. So let's ponder that as the elements come forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for the death of your son for our sins and his resurrection to new life so we can have new life in you. Pray that would be what we proclaim and sing and live for this week and for the rest of our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close in worship.